Titus chapter 2 is challenging us to have a healthy church, sound uh, church, and older men, older women, younger men, uh, younger women, even slaves last week. Everybody's godly. Everybody's mm -hmm. learning and growing. And the more we learn and grow, the different, more, uh, more different, the more different from our culture we become. And so the culture is uh, mentioned back in Titus 1.12. I will keep referring back to that because opposite of that is what godliness looks like. And practical godliness, Titus is expecting, and Paul writing to Titus, expecting that godliness isn't just for the church, it's for the home. And you can see references to the home. Slaves were in the home. And so everyone in the home that's a believer is countercultural. And if the homes are countercultural, the church is countercultural. And that's when godliness is spreading. Where, what does it take for laziness, evil, violence, and out of control and lying to spread? Well, that spreads naturally, like wildfire. Um, but having godliness is like fire in a fireplace. It's wonderful, but if that spreads outside of the fireplace, <laughs> we're in trouble. And so godliness is is good in the in um, how it should be self-controlled. And so it is with um, the church, healthy church. And so we're going to see today in verse 11, what do we do? In a church, in a home where people say, I can't do it. I can't be godly. I am married to someone who's ungodly. I've got ungodly kids. I had ungodly parents. I cannot be, I cannot be godly. I just can't do it. Uh, older men, older women. Um, older men say, I can't. I can't be, I can't be uh, godly. Older men say, I can't be self-controlled. I can't be sober-minded. I can't be dignified. I can't be healthy in faith, in love, in steadfastness. Older women say, I can't be reverent in behavior. I have to slander. That's how I grew up. It's part of my ethnicity. It's part of my culture. I have to be uh, given to wine. Everybody in my family drinks. I have to drink. Oh. Uh, I have to be, as a younger woman, I can't love my husband. No one in my family has ever loved their husband. I can't love my kids. Uh, no one in my family has ever loved their kids. Uh, I'm just going down the list of Titus too. And opposite of this, where you're going to hear, if you're godly and trying to help ungodly people to be godly in a church, you're going to hear excuses. I can't do that. I won't do that. Okay, well, we're in a different, different situation. Um, continuing down in verse four, uh, I, Titus two, oh, okay. uh, four. I can't be um, self-controlled. I can't be pure. I can't work at home. That's um, not in our culture. I can't be kind. I can't be submissive to my own husband. That's so 1960s. I can't be um, younger men. I can't be self-controlled. All of my friends party. 
all of my friends drive way above the speed limit. Mm. All of my friends graffiti. All of my friends, whatever it is. And we're going to hear excuses if we're godly helping the next generation and others to be godly. And I can't do it. I don't know how. Okay. So slaves, we forgot slaves here. Slaves say, I can't be submissive to my master and everything. You don't know what he's like. He's abusive. Mm -hmm. He's abusive sexually, verbally, physically, every way that he can abuse me, he has abused me. And you're telling me that I have to be submissive to him in everything? Mm. No way. So what do we do? How do we answer people that say, I can't, I can't do this. This is an impossible task. Well, let me tell you this. Everything about the Christian life is impossible apart from the grace of God. But with the grace of God, nothing is impossible. So an ungodly culture does not have to influence the church to be an ungodly church. Does not have to influence older or younger to be ungodly in their home. Excuses don't fly in the church because we mm -hmm. have power in us and available to us that the world does not have. How do we know that we have power? Where's the power come from? Let's look at verse 11. For the grace of God, that's God's power, has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now, where has God's grace appeared? You notice that's past tense. It doesn't say it's appearing. It says it appeared. Now, context helps us to interpret this. Where have you seen? Go back to verse 10. Where do you see God's grace appearing? It appeared. Where did God's grace appear? You see it? End of verse 10. Christ. Mm -hmm. He saved us. Okay, so Titus is written after Christ appeared. For all of us, Christ appearing is past. <laughs> and we're not living in the Old Testament where we're expecting Christ to appear. Christ has appeared. Now, what does John 1 tell us about Christ's appearance? As he comes, he is full of grace and truth. If you want mm -hmm. to see God's grace, look at Christ. You see it. What is it about the grace of God that we see in the person of Jesus Christ? And you have four long books of the Bible that explain and show you the grace of Christ and all of us can see it it's appeared he is gracious with how he deals with enemies he's gracious as a 12 year old and how he deals with his parents in luke 2 he is mm -hmm. gracious in how he cleanses the temple how he heals the sick how he deals with demoniacs how mm -hmm. he raises the dead how he deals with those who are putting him on a cross father forgive them they don't know what they're doing everything about god's grace you can see in the person of jesus christ okay so for titus having available power to him when there are people in his church and there are people in every church that say i can't be godly if you knew what home i grew up in can't be godly mm -hmm. if you knew my past i can't be godly 
if you knew my status as a slave, I can't be godly. He takes all these excuses away with one phrase, the grace of God has appeared. And it's appeared in the person of God, our Savior. So the grace of God has appeared. And that means you can see it. The people in Titus's churches, they can see it. All of us, we can see it. Now, will we look at it? And will it change us? Because as we see the glory of God, we're changed by it. So where we are not gracious or not obedient, according, not godly, according to Titus 2, um, up to this point, or we're resistant to being godly or thinking, I got to be like my culture. No, you don't have to be like your culture. Mm -hmm. You can be different because the grace of God has appeared to you. Mm -hmm. And it's brought salvation, not just for you, but for all people. So this grace, and it, it's not a salvation by grace alone passage, but it tell, it's telling all believers, how were you saved? What were you saved from? You're saved from ungodliness. How were you saved? By God's grace. Absolutely. God's power rescued the worst of sinners and made you saints by God's grace, his power. It's a gift, right? So that grace to the, to the believer on the island of Crete, they've seen it. They've seen it in the person of Christ. It's changed them, and they have been born again. We've been born again. We've experienced the grace of God. So any Christian can't say, I don't know what God's grace is. But yeah, you've seen it. You've experienced it in God rescuing you. You've been saved by grace. That's the only way we're saved, right? So he builds on salvation, and this is about not salvation uh, by grace, but it, he builds on it. Um, this passage is not about that. It's about verse 12, training us. What is training us? Got to go back to verse 11. What's training us? Okay. The teaching trains us. Teaching about the grace of God. Okay. So the grace of God is a theme. You may have, if you have ESV, you have a paragraph where 2.11 starts the paragraph. So this paragraph is about what God's grace does to train us. Assuming that everyone that he's talking to are believers, because the Titus is written to believers. Uh, you can go back to Titus 1 and see that. That God's grace has saved these believers. They're still in an ungodly culture. Likely some ungodliness in their homes, in themselves. But this ungodliness is training, or this um, grace of God is training us. Not just the leaders, it's all of us as believers. Training. We've seen that word train before. Uh, someone uh, know in chapter two where you've seen it? Not the ing, but the word train. Verse four. And it, we said, is about self-control. To teach someone to be self-controlled, that's the word train, okay? So you'll see self-control in verse uh, two for the older men. It, the older women are to be trainers or to be self-controlled and training other people to be self-controlled. And then the younger women are to be self-controlled. The younger men are to be self-controlled. And now we're seeing that God's grace does the self-control training. The training us to 
not live how we want, not think how we want, mm-hmm. not act how we want. Because if we do that selfishly, our culture, our lives are going to look like 112. Our culture is going to look like 112. The only chance that we have of not looking like the culture is the grace of God working through us. Mm-hmm. The only chance we have of the of looking like Titus 2, 2 to 10 is the older men, the older women, the younger women, the younger men, and even the slaves that are attending this church all have the grace of God. And they're all being trained by it. So how does God use his grace to help us to be self-controlled? That's the word training. How does, what, what does it look like? And verse 12 continues. It trains us to do, not do certain things and it trains us to do certain things. Okay, so we'll start with the negative. What does the grace of God train us to not do? And he uses the word renounce. We may not use the word renounce a lot. I don't have a, another translation or want to know what renounce means. Deny. 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 Right. Okay. So denying or renouncing. So mm-hmm. when, when you want to overthrow your king, you would say, I renounce my loyalty to king whoever. All right. And you are denying that he is your king. I'm done. I'm done with him as my king. Off with his head and <laughs> revolution and let's let's get rid of this king. All right. That would be renouncing. And you'll see elsewhere in Romans 6 and Colossians 3, where we are to put to death the deeds of our flesh. Um, and so the opposite of godliness is ungodliness. Okay. So God's grace trains us to renounce or deny ungodliness. How does an ungodly person think or live? What what would you watch someone's life and say, that's an ungodly life? And you can maybe look at your life before salvation. You say, I lived an ungodly life. What would be some, the way an ungodly person would think or live? What comes to your mind? I'm sorry. No self-control. Good. So, yes the major news stations you'll see all ungodliness um conservative and liberal and yeah some some something else how do ungodly people think opposite than godly people yeah think about themselves good i like the idea of self they had a lack self-control because that's in the mm-hmm. context you mm-hmm. see if there is a godly people are self-controlled and they're taught to be self-controlled and they're exercising self-control ungodly people obviously lacking self-control and that matches what we see in 112 well, people that lack self-control are giving themselves to lying and evil violence and lazy so an ungodly person is living without regard to God or his word. How do we live? Is it, what's best for our culture? And if the culture says we do not need God and we do not need his word, 
It is irrelevant. What God in his word says is not even considered. And we make decisions. We pass laws. We have protests. We have acti activists. All these things are happening. And God's word is ignored and likely disobeyed. What we're going to have is an ungodly culture. A culture that says, it's okay to murder babies in the womb. Mm -hmm. That's ungodliness. It's okay to marry someone or to live together and not be married. That's ungodly. How do we get to that place? Well, you can live without thinking about God and his word. And you can't be godly unless you obey God and his word. So ungodly living, and you look at many cultures that some of them don't have the Bible in their language, or very, very few people have a copy of God's word. None of their lawmakers, their leaders, or even have any remote idea of what God and his word is like, and you have some really ungodly places to live. Fortunately for our country, we still have some godly influence in our laws, in our justice system, in our police forces, and in the FBI and other law keeping. And, and, but we're quickly walking away from God. I sent you an article about that and how paganism is mm -hmm. infiltrating our society. Mm -hmm. um, and this is living without regard to God. So the natural man doesn't want God. We know from Romans 1 that the truth about God is suppressed in ungodliness. Where we're giving people God's word and now they're saying, I... I didn't know what God's word said. And now that you tell me what God's word said, I hate what God's word oh. said. That's where our culture is going. That's where the Cretan culture was at. And so if our culture is like that and people come to our church and we're telling them, we're showing them what godly homes look like, godly relationships look like, godly speech looks like, godly self-control looks like, they're saying, how did you guys get to this place and we can tell them it's god's grace and god's grace has trained us to renounce or deny ungodliness not to give ourselves over to live however we want to and reject god in his word but god in his word is actually center of what we do not like here's god's word and we don't want it we're going to live how we want to live that's how ungodly living happens so we don't live like the ungodly. We renounce that. And so if you are a new believer in any healthy church, you have to learn how to renounce ungodliness. The way you used to think it's okay to fill in the blank and it's ungodliness, you say, I can't think that way anymore. I can't live that way anymore. I can't talk that way anymore. I can't drink that way anymore. I can't fill in the blank of all the ungodliness in a culture that leads to Titus 1.12. And you have to learn to renounce ungodliness. So what does every believer have to train them to renounce ungodliness is they have God's grace. And we get God's grace as we humble ourselves. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Is this how we all got saved? We humbled ourselves. So God, I'm trying to work my way to you i'm trying to whatever trying to live an immoral life and think that there's no god i just don't need god and then you realize you needed god to rescue you and you renounce ungodliness you trusted christ you repented of your sin 
and then he saved you. So you have, you've trusted Christ, but the word training is an ongoing thing. We're never fully trained. God's grace is constantly training us because there are mm -hmm. uh, elements of ungodliness in all of our thinking. Yeah. If you are grew up in a lying home and you got really good at lying and you got saved, you know what you're going to struggle with? Mm -hmm. You're going to still struggle with lying. <laughs> you're going to struggle in your relationships to be all of the positive things of two to, to 10. You're going to struggle with those after salvation, but you have God's grace now, his power to help train you. So God's grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and more precise ungodliness is probably broader now worldly passions what comes to your mind when you think of worldly passions hollywood, hollywood. okay mm -hmm. leaving little to our imagination as to what an ungodly life looks like and what passion that is out of control looks like good las vegas las vegas mm -hmm. hollywood yeah. Yeah. it's a desire passions are desires or lusts whenever we look at the modifier of it, it it's not wrong to have desires um but it's wrong to have worldly desires so what is the world if we were to help someone to say okay we're not supposed to love the world you tell someone who just got saved, you came out of the world. I came out of it. Okay. Um, what, why, why can't we have, why, why, why is God's grace teaching us to, or training us to renounce worldly passions? Because the world is in opposition to God. It's actually in rebellion against God. And Romans one tells us what that right. rebellion looks like. Mm -hmm. So it's not just ignorance of God's word, as we said. When we are confronted with God's word, ungodly living is living in apart from God's word. But whenever you do know God's word, I'm going to do what God hates, and I don't care. That's how worldly passion, people that have given themselves over to worldly passions live. So for the Christian, God's grace working through us is causing us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions we can't live this way anymore we used to give into our desires and our lust in opposition and rebellion against god we used to mock god scoff at people that were godly and now we want to be godly and so god's grace tells us what not to do living an ungodly and worldly passionate lifestyle in rebellion against god but it also tells us what to do here and positively how to live okay so the middle of verse 12 god's grace tells us what to renounce it also tells us what to do what do you see there soberly <clears throat> upright and godly lives and if you have esv you have see the word self-control Oh, well, we know what self-control is because that's where the root of training. That's what we've seen self-control over and over again in the in the previous section. So God's grace helps us to live godly life. So if an ungodly life is living, as we said, without regard to God, his word, how does a godly life live? 
How is, is a godly life lived? Everything is in what does God's word say? Oh, I didn't realize I was doing something, saying something, thinking something, acting a certain way that God's word says this is ungodliness. This is in a list of sins. This is in a direct command of God of how not to live. And so a godly person is going to agree with God against themselves all the time. And when it comes to God's grace, God's grace is available using God's word and helping us to live godly lives. What does godly lives look like? It looks like self-control. The word upright is the word for righteous or just or doing something that is right. It matches what we have seen of the uh, elders back in 5 to 9 of chapter 1. It matches what we have seen of the godly men and women and the slaves of chapter 2, 2 to 10. And so broad categories here. Self-control is mentioned again because remember the culture he's writing to and anyone who is self-controlled is going to give God glory. Why? Because God's grace is working through this out-of-control life and making this person be self-controlled now. They're thinking before they talk. They're thinking before they act. They want to please God now where they're before <laughs> they're going to do whatever pleases them and they're destructive in their relationships and their lifestyle. And now they're constructive in their relationships. They're learning to be self-controlled at home, loving and pure and um, the older men, sober-minded and self-controlled, dignified, and they are healthy in faith, in love and endurance. So God's grace gives us as Christians no excuses for living ungodly lives. We have the person of Christ. God's grace has appeared to us. We see what godliness looks like in full detail, four dimensions of it, of the four gospels. And we say, that is godly living. How we treat all these different types of people, different scenarios, uh, how we spend our time, effort, how we teach, how we model, how we live, everything uh, is pleasing to God, living according to his word. So it, God's grace teaches us, trains us, and is constantly working in us to teach us to be self-controlled, upright, and godly. And how does he finish verse 12? Godly lives in this present age. You and I live in a present age. The island of Crete was a present age. So you can't you cannot say, this is my culture. I can't be godly in this ungodly culture. We're, I wish we could live back in the 60s. And some of you grew up in the 60s. But you know what? My kids will never grow up in the 60s. I will never grow up in the 60s. No. Can't. I can't go back and relive the 80s when I grew up. <laughs> and the culture is worse than it was in the 60s or the 80s. So wanting to go back to a different time in our country isn't what god's grace teaches us to do god's grace trains us to live godly right where you're at and so you have a church you have the holy spirit you have in this passage you have god's grace available to you and if you and i will use god's grace our lives will look like 
verse 12. And then as we are being trained, guess what's going to happen? God wants us to train others. And he uses the exact language of chapter in chapter two earlier, where the older are to train the younger. And then the younger become the older and they're training. And they're, the constant training is going on. But available to me as a leader, available to all of you who want to train others is God's grace. You're not in this yourself. You have a tremendous amount of power available to you. Like if we had to cut down a tree out here and you say, okay, and I give you a really dull saw, handsaw, and you're there and you're <laughs> trying and you're getting nowhere. Not even sawdust is coming off because your, your saw is so dull. But then if I have a sharp, really powerful chainsaw fired up and you're like, oh, where were you at? We feel like at times against our culture that we're trying to cut down trees with a dull saw. Like I'm not making any difference in this ungodly culture, but you don't realize. And I, I, at times I don't realize I have God's grace available to me. It's appeared. We can see him. We know what godliness looks like. We have God's power. And so with all the excuses that we may hear and that we may give and that we may hear as we're helping others to be godly, those excuses hold no water. They're just lousy excuses that need to be set aside and say, okay, you have given excuses for how you have to be ungodly. No, you can be godly in this present age because you have God's grace available to you. It's appeared. And we actually have it better than Titus did because we have the rest of the Bible. Yeah. So we have the complete word of God. We have all the detail of the son of God. And we have the spirit of God <laughs> inside of us. We have no excuses other than I'll try to do this on my own. No, you have God's grace. And if you come to me for counsel, if I uh, give you advice, you should hear heavy doses of God's grace. God's grace is available to you. You both, if it's two people, it's a group of people, it's out of control Sunday school class. <laughs> Uh, whatever it is in a church, you have God's grace. And if you if you're dealing with unsaved people, what's what's their need? They don't have God's grace. You tell them there you you're trying to live a godly life in the power of the flesh, and all you have is flesh. You don't have the spirit. As soon as you have the spirit, you have God's grace. You're born again, and God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. If you'll humble yourself, God will save you by His grace. But also, if you'll humble yourself. God will sanctify you, make you holy um, by his grace as well.